0: Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. So glad you're here today. You glad to be here? Yeah, All right. If you're tuning in online, thank you so much for tuning in online. And uh, man, wasn't that great message Scott preached on last week? Yeah. That was, yeah. we can give him a hand. That was, I got saved. I finally got saved, it convinced me. Uh, man, what a, went home with so many just great challenges in that. And I loved all, the, all his signs and everything. So man, Scott, every, every sermon you preach, bro, you get better. And uh, so proud of you uh, for where, you, where you've come and what God is doing in that. So all right, you ready to learn something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good, here's, here's what I know. I, I know that you're gonna leave this place different than you came in. Uh, different than when you tuned in online. If you are going through something a little hard right now, this message is for you. Uh, I believe that God breathed this into me to give you some hope and some encouragement um, that just because you have maybe storms in your life doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Okay, that's kind of the point of this whole message. But I want to recap just a little bit. If you're, if you're brand new, this is the first time we started a series three or four weeks ago called Warning Signs. And I had this idea as I'm, as I'm driving down, mostly it was, I went up, up Chinden and I saw this, this road closure sign. And it said, Detour Serenity Lane. I thought that's an oxymoron. Because you can't give me a detour and have me be peaceful about it. That's just not the way that it is. And, and, and so I had a little bit of an attitude uh, when I saw that. And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, no, no, you missed the point. You missed the point. The point is sometimes you have to take the detour to have peace. And so that's another message somewhere down the road. And I was like, oh, well, I read the sign the way that I want to read it, not the way it was intended. Yes which never happens in marriage, uh, which is why you need to come to our life group if you're married and maybe struggling or you want to get a better, a better uh, perspective on life. Um, you need to come to life group to maybe teach me something. Amen. I'm 30, 30 years into it and I'm still learning. Do I get an amen from my beautiful bride in the front row? Amen. All right. All right. So recap, uh, lesson number one, I taught the message called the battle for balance. And uh, that was number one. And if you if you didn't hear it and you want to, you can go to our, our YouTube channel, uh, Change Life YouTube channel, and you can pull up videos that are it's under the live section. It has all of our messages archived uh, Wednesdays and Sundays. And, and it was the battle for balance. Like balance is a hard thing. And we use the illustration of a wash machine. Like you overload your machine or you put something in on one side and it's too heavy and it starts rumbling and the weight to fix that is you walk in, open the lid, acknowledge the problem, and walk out, and and then it just goes back to being normal. No, what do you got to do when it's out of balance? (laughs) <laughs> For those of you who have never washed laundry, I'm teaching you something. Um, you don't need YouTube. You need Pastor Stan. And, and you, you have to rearrange some stuff. Sometimes we overload it. And when we do that, it gets, it starts, and, and when it does that, it's bad. It will hurt your floor. It will hurt your washer. It causes damage. So in life, when it's out of balance, we've got to look and adjust, all right? Sometimes we have to remove some things. I just set somebody free. Year round childhood sports because your kids play every single sport there is under the sun. Oh, man, I felt conviction come into the room on that one, all right? there is a time where you could say, okay, we can't do everything, all right? Pick a couple. Me, personally, I want to show you some signs that I don't like, and this was what I let off with our first thing. I don't like road-closed signs because that's where I want to go. That is preventing me from getting where I want to go. Speed reduced ahead. As some of you in this place, all you see is speed ahead. You forget the reduced. I know some of you like that. Road work ahead, I don't like that. What does that usually mean? It means that it's gonna stop me from progress. Expect delays, I don't like that one. Especially if you're flying these days, I've heard that it can be really bad, right? I don't like any of these signs, why? Because they stop me and they annoy me. Top left one, road closed. Can I just be personal with you? Come on. Yeah. I like smooth roads, I just don't like the process. Life is really full of seasons, isn't it? Okay? You have smooth roads. You have rough roads. You have blocked roads. You have eagle road. (laughs) You have roads in the CUNA area with the progress and the building and improvements. There's pain. And my wife and I, we moved moved here over 25 years ago and CUNA did not used to be as busy. I could leave church and not have to wait five minutes to turn left. All right. um, sometimes you can cheat and have a child use the crosswalk, and it's like a stoplight on both sides. And um, Not that I've ever done that, but I have thought about it. But I have taken advantage of those led by the Holy Spirit that actually did push the button to walk across. Uh, but one, the one that annoyed me the most is on my way home. If you know where I live, we live out just kind of east of town and it's a four-mile drive to, to our house, and it's a bunch of, it's right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, and you come into our house. Well, we go off Strobel Road, and then there's Indian Creek there where everybody floats. Well, they decided to build a subdivision there, and, and with that, um, my brain is going, okay, it's gonna increase the traffic, but what they did is they shut the road down up Strobel from Cuna Road to, to the creek, and it's about a 400-yard stretch, and, and it annoyed me because it turned my four-mile commute Everybody go, where you only ride four miles. Some of you drive a lot farther than that, right? But four miles is nice, okay? It turned it into a six-mile commute one way. Now, you go from eight miles round trip to 12 miles round trip, but that's just a waste of my time. And so I'm putting up with it, and it, has, and it lied. It said road closed from you know, November 1st to November 10th. When have you ever seen that be right? Like, just don't post it. Post the day you're going to start and then put a question mark. Like we don't know because you don't. right. So anyhow, so, you know, I, I put up with it and I drive the whole loop and I'm, I'm going, and then, and then as I drive by the road closed, I can look up Strobel and there's times that there is no road construction at all. You have the road sign that says road closed and it annoys me. And so being a man of action, and not being lied to. I don't like to be lied to. I look and I go, that road's not closed because I am a black and white person. My wife hates this about me sometimes, but I'm so, I'm like, this is, this is just how it is. Literal, like I'm literal. It says road closed and it's not. And so I'm driving and I'm like, I need to drive two more miles. And I look down the road, and I got like, look open, looks open to me. And, uh, and so I drive around the sign and, and the road is not closed. <laughs> this is like Friday night confessional of your pastor's sins. Uh, <laughs> We'll do, a, we'll do greatest sins of staying sometimes. We're talking about this one. And, and, and so there was one weekend that I'm driving down the road, and it says road closed. And I'm looking, and there is not one piece of equipment. There is no cones. There is nothing wrong with the road. It is open all the way to, to Kuna Road. And I'm like, I'm a man of action. I am here to set the captives free. There are people in Kuna driving around. I am going to reduce my carbon footprint, by driving less because, you know, I've got to go green, right? That's why I have a diesel truck and um, two-stroke motorcycles, all right? But, but I'm here to set the captives free. And so uh, I look at these road closed signs as false advertising because it's not closed. What happened, I figure, to my estimation, was that the, the road crew went home and they didn't, because somebody, somebody's like, it's not my job. My job is not to remove the moat. So, so your pastor decided to take action, and I, I moved the road close signs out of the road uh, because I'm here to set the captives free. I'm here to prevent road rage, my own. Like, and I can remove this, all right? Now, before you get judgy, I promise you, I only drove on the asphalt that my personal taxes paid for. Okay? I feel better now, I confess to y'all. Um, and I got, I got, does anybody feel my pain? Yeah. Like I get it if you're working on the road. I get it if there's a hole, I get it if there's equipment. But when you're putting signs up and it's like there's asphalt and there's nothing in between, take action. Uh, now I am not giving you bad advice, I'm giving you terrible advice. Don't move traffic signs, all right? But there was nothing, you know, It was no problem. I think somebody just didn't move the signs down, all right? So again, I wanted to be like Jesus, set so the captives free. Let's move on. Road signs I've never seen, all right? Here's road signs I've never seen. Smooth road ahead, no delays ahead, no speed limits ahead, all green lights ahead, no idiot drivers ahead. I've never in my life have seen a sign that said that warning me of what wasn't coming. Has anybody seen a sign like that, like a real legit sign that was like, hey, there's no delays, no nothing? Why are the signs only bad? Why does it just warn you of what's bad? You know, and I, again, as I was thinking about this, I, I don't call people idiot drivers when I'm driving out loud. Um, <laughs> I, I try to be very careful with what I say. But the fact is, okay, on the highway of life, there's going to be a lot of rough roads, and so that is the title of today's message. I love titles because titles help me remember it. Rough roads ahead. Now, before you get discouraged and walk out of here, I, I, what I am is I'm setting you up for success because if you expect perfection, you will just be disappointed. And so what I want us to do today is to, to understand that a life lived for Jesus Christ is not a life of ease, It's not a life of everything smooth sailing. You can have two people madly in love with Jesus, get married, and and there's going to be no marriage conflict whatsoever. Yeah, that's a complete lie, right? Because there's always going to be some sort of conflict. Rough roads ahead. Again, when you set yourself up for disappointment, when we get this idea that life should be smooth all the time. You see, we have a microwave imagination with a crockpot reality. We think it should be fast. We think it should be good. Now, to be tested on this, this message of mine, and there's a, a danger of having a message a week before you preach it, is that God's like, all right, I want to see if you're going to live this thing. Last night, this, last night, I came to prayer here. Six o'clock, we opened the church up for prayer. You can come and pray if you want. And, and so we, we were praying, and, and Gwen said, have you ever prayed for patience? And I said, No. <laughs> I don't don't pray for patience. I I have prayed that God would give me patience. But when you pray, Lord, just teach me patience. No, don't do that. That's a terrible prayer. Because there is enough people in your life that already test your patience, right? So I kid you not, my wife and I, we we, we get done, we get in the car, we start driving home, and and we pull out here, and I get behind this car. We're talking 30 seconds after the amen, and man, we're talking about Jesus and what God's doing and everything. And I'm, I'm driving toward KJ's, and this, this car decides to go 30 in a 45. That's 15 under the speed limit if you didn't know that. And I'm driving on my, I'm like, what? What are you, like, what are you doing? And, and we're having this intimate conversation about whatever it was we were talking about. Um, and, and, and she sees something, she sees like the Hulk come out. Now, it might be like the baby Hulk in me, but it comes out, it comes out. And, and I'm like, I'm not raging yet, I'm wondering. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm talking to the car ahead of me. And she's like, we were having a conversation. I'm like, yeah, now I'm having a conversation with somebody who's not listening. Um, and, and so, and I'm talking to the person driving and they're just going 30, I'm watching the speedometer. I'm like 31. 30. Why are you going 30 in a 45? I was like, I'm, I'm trying to get home. Folks, I just got out of prayer. Like, and I didn't even pray for patience. And, and so I'm driving, and, and they're still going all the way past cages, past the Ridley's turnoff. And they're going, and I'm like, they're going to turn the same way I'm turning. Sure enough, they get to the stoplight. It's red. There's a car there. There's a huge amount of space, and it's a white line. You can turn right. They're on a red. And they don't. They stop. And they're blinking. And I'm going, if you just turned, I could go. And Chris is still like, what is your problem? Uh, I, I have issues. And I'm like, oh, come on, you can turn. Over a minute goes by. And I'm like, I could be halfway home. Like, literally, I'm thinking I could be around the curve onto Cuna Road, like, come on, right? Come on, and I'm going and going. And I'm like, should I bump him? She's like, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, well, I'm in a car, so. Um, and uh, and I, I'm not gonna bump him, because I don't wanna pay for it. And so I've been I'm waiting impatiently, because I was impatient. And I'm like, come on. And finally the light turns green and they decide to go. And I'm like, fine. And so I go around them and I pass them. And guess what they do? They turn right on the first right into the McDonald's parking lot. And I said, remember I told you they could have turned the first one? Yeah. I'm like, come on, are you serious? And she's like, oh, night over. All right. Now, I wasn't road raging. I was road annoyance. And you might say, uh, she, she says, I'm impatient. She, she said, you're just impatient. I'm like, no, I'm just a good time manager. It, there's a difference between being impatient and managing your time well. And when I am a good time manager, and somebody is preventing me, <laughs> when somebody's slowing me down, I'm at 15 under. Come on, that's it. Um, so I deal with this too, right? I, I, I'm like, I'm like microwave. Like I want, I want this to be done. I want to get home. I want to, I want to, and, and, and it's this crock pot. Life is like that. I remember as a youth pastor, I had this, there was a poster, I believe it was, and it showed Jesus walking with his disciples up this trail, and he turned around, and and the statement was, I never said it would be easy, I said it would be worth it. And I love that, I love that picture. Now, it's not a definite Bible verse, but the Bible definitely talks like that, that it's not easy, but it's worth it. So we're gonna continue in the story that I left on weeks back, back in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus Uh, Here's his cousin, John the Baptist, gets murdered. He gets beheaded uh, basically for preaching righteousness to King Herod. And and it says, when Jesus heard this, I'm going to start a couple verses before uh, I post it up there. Uh, Posted. I almost sound like a teenager. I posted before it's, it's up on there. I'm going to read you a little bit of context. When Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Okay? He was sad. His cousin was murdered. And he sad, and he withdrew by boat to a private place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when crowds, the crowds landed, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. In our lesson, The Battle for Balance, we talked about this, like being a woman who's had a rough day with the children, and like dad gets home, and she's like, i got to go take a bath. And you go in, it's a hot bath. There's candles. There's bubbles. And all of a sudden, the kids are like, ah, and, and the husband's like, Mom, I don't know what to do. Um, it's like that. It's like this interruption. It's like you need this time away. And, and Jesus, he, he's sad. He needs some time. And yet the people follow him. And so he has compassion and heals their sick. And so as the evening approached, the disciples came to him. And they said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting light. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, if you read this the way I do, you got the disciples telling Jesus what he needs to do. They're giving him orders. They are giving the Son of God. They are giving God himself in a human body orders. Jesus, you need to send them away so they can go get some food. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. See, there's a little bit of sarcasm I hear dripping out of Jesus's mouth, which makes me feel a little more like him, because sarcasm drips from my mouth sometimes. And Jesus is like, no, you go give him something to eat. Have you ever prayed a prayer, but it was more like telling God what he needed to do and how he needed to do it in your life? It'd be like that, right? Like, like we think we're praying, but we're really giving God orders. You know, the God that God does not take orders from us. So here's what I got out of this. Instead of the disciples telling Jesus what he needed to do, shouldn't they have said, Jesus, what would you like us to do? Like, isn't that a service hacker? Like, what do you want us to do? Lord, there's a bunch of hungry people here. And what, what would you like us to do? And so Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They don't need to go away. Well, verse 17, well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish they answered. And Jesus said, bring them to me. He said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass in groups of hundreds and fifties. And what did he do? He said, start passing the bread out. And somehow five loaves, little loaves of bread and two little fish fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're figuring there could be 20,000 people there that he feeds with this. You see, we only have, you ever said that to God, God, I only have this? I know the church needs some help in kids' ministries or, you know, with our worship team or whatever it is. But, Lord, this is all I have. I'm only like a a two-loaf person. I'm not even five. I got like half a fish. Lord, I I don't have a whole lot to give. And, And do you think that God would put that on your heart to do if he didn't think you could accomplish it? No. God knows what you have. You see, all you've got is all you need when Jesus is involved. If you can serve one night a week on a Wednesday evening with our kids' ministries and you can say, I can do one. I can't do every Wednesday, but I can do one night or I can serve on a Sunday morning. I can do one service. Talk to Katie, talk, talk to Pastor Louie. They will hook you up. Crickets, yes. all right? Sign me up, baby. We could all do one, right? We could all do one because what's, guys, what's the point? What's the point if we can come to a church family. We can learn and we can grow. We can do Bible study. But if we're not involved, what's the point? Like the, the information without the application, that's just religion. But we need help. I'm telling you again, okay, first we asked politely, then, um, then we asked a little more intensively aggressively. Now I'm telling you, get involved in some area. There are some kids that need your help. Yep. Unless you hate children. Don't do that. Then you can work in the parking lot. All right, if you enjoy telling people what to do, work as a, as a pointer, all right? Parking lot is great. If you're smiley, we'll put you in charge. But there, but there are needs in our church family as the church has grown, especially in kids' ministry. But ladies, there might be a little girl that just needs you guys in the, in the boys' ministry in our Royal Rangers. There might be a little boy who just needs you maybe one time a month that you can show up for an hour and just put something into them because somebody put something into you. And if you could tell me about your childhood, maybe you should volunteer just as, as a penance for how you treated your teachers when you were little. Like it's not a punishment, it's a difference maker, all right? So that's my little plea for, hey, we need to get involved because we all need to be rolling in the right direction. But all you've got is all you need when Jesus is involved. See, some people see what is, and you need to see what can be. You need to see what can be. What the disciples saw as a problem, Jesus saw as potential, Same story, right? Same story. What was the problem? We don't have enough food. Not to pass. Jesus saw the problem. The disciples saw the problem. The only problem with the disciples, they didn't see potential. They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. They're like, hey, send them out. And Jesus is like, no, you feed them. And when they brought to Jesus what they had, what did Jesus do with it? He made it amazing. Same situation, different perspective. And I will tell you this right now. Some of you are going through a really hard time in life. It's a rough season for you. It's a rough road. It's not just ahead. You're in it and you're bouncing down the road, and it's bad. You see from a certain perspective, you see the problem. You need to see what Jesus looks at as Jesus. Yeah, he acknowledges the problem, but he sees the potential. He sees where you're going. He sees this, yeah, it's rough now, but it's going to get better. When you serve me, when you stick to it, when you keep going, and you give it to Jesus, you're like, Jesus, this, I hate this. This is terrible. And Jesus is like, but you got to keep going. you got to keep going, because this is not your destination. Okay, the bumpiness, the rough road is not your destination. It's just a part of life. What you see as a problem, Jesus sees its potential. Most of you know, if you've been here very long, I love dirt bikes, okay? I grew up on them, I love engines. That's what I was gonna do before I went into ministry was I was gonna be a mechanic, all right? So I love to fix things. I love, I, that's how my brain works. Um, you know, I, I had, ministry was not on my radar. Jesus was, loved Jesus all my heart. Never saw myself pastoring. I saw myself fixing a car that never talked back when I told it what to do, <laughs> All right, all right. Welcome to ministry. So I'm gonna show you a bike that my son found. This is a 2000 CR250. Uh, my son found it on Marketplace, I don't know, a year or so ago. And uh, he, he looked at the ad and, um, <laughs> and that's how it came. It's the thing of beauty right there, Right just, if you're, if you're familiar with the bikes, it would say, just needs the carb cleaned. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you know a motorcycle, they're trying to sell you, it just needs the carb cleaned. That was like the terrible sales tactic. Okay. And so my son calls on it because my son and I, we love to rebuild dirt bikes. And, and so he calls on and looks at it and the guy wanted 1200 bucks for it, which I thought was too much. Uh, and people were like, that's way too much. You know, people were trolling the ad and, um, so Trev talked to him and, and uh, kind of find out, he, he kind of have a sad story. Like he, his son was in California, he wanted to go see his son, but there was a court battle, kind of a, a, a big thing. And so um, anyhow, I, I called the guy and Chris and I were on our way out of town and, and talked to him for a while. And, and so I told my son, yeah, go get it. Go ahead and go get the bike. It was in Mountain Home, so he drives and gets the bike. Um, and so that's how it came. And then we discovered the gas tank is missing. But there's eBay, right? So we got on eBay. All right, this is how the bike came. Uh, the engine is completely apart. The guy took pretty much every nut and bolt out, stuck it all in one thing. Now, me personally, I do Ziploc bags and they're all marked with a Sharpie, okay? And every bolt, I mean, I'm, everything's accounted for in, in my w- way I do things. And so, a lot of guys were like, no, I'm not buying it, not buying it, not buying it, but for some reason, crazy stance potential in a problem. Now, the guy rattle-canned the f- frame, that's actually an aluminum frame, right, and he rattle canned it, spray paint. So that took a ton of pressure washing, uh, paint, lacquer thinner to get, I mean, it took a lot of work to get that off. Um, And then I discovered, he put all the engine parts, the cases the transmission, everything is apart. And I didn't take it apart. So I'm like, okay, how does this thing go back together? So I did what you're supposed to do. I went online and went, okay, (laughs) CR 250 transmission and and started figuring things out. and, And then he did a lovely thing. He actually added parts from another bike in the box. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, where the heck is this thing going? I'm looking through my, and then I'm discovering this doesn't go on this bike. I was like, thank you very much, Mr. Mountain Home Man. Um, and, and then, so talking to my son afterwards, he says, yeah, there was evidence of Beth at the guy's house. And I was like, that makes sense. He took apart things that didn't need to be taken apart. Like, so every nut and bolt, we thought, all right. Now, this bike came out of the Honda shop just like this when the first purchaser bought it. It said some maintenance required. Is that how it came out of the shop? Uh, No, No, man, this thing was brand spanking new. This thing was spotless, beautiful. How did it get to that point? It got to that point through lack of maintenance, lack of caring. It wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't like the guy brought it home, or girl brought it home from the bike shop, and, and the next day it looked like this. This was over a period of time of not maintaining something that needs maintenance. Now, our lives can be the same thing. Now, when you're born, Okay, you were born perfect. You were born perfect until you sin, which for me, which was about three months old. Uh, For those of you, you were probably a little later than that. But over a course of time, we destroy our lives. We take something that's beautiful, we make bad decisions, and it becomes what we call a basket case. Now, there was a lot of people online that looked at that and said, no, thank you, but crazy Stan sees potential. Because I, since I was a little kid, my parents will tell you that I like to take things and make them better. Uh, but that was after a certain age. I destroyed stuff up until that point. Um, and, and so I, I saw, you know, I can do something with this bike. So over the course of about, you know, 16 hours, I rebuilt the entire bike. No, it was weeks. It was weeks of work and and going out and being frustrated. Uh, As I began to put the engine back together, the guy, he said he was a mechanic. He said he was a certified mechanic. He was certified, but I don't think he was a certified mechanic. Uh, Because as I began to put the engine back, I was like, something's not right here. And and the crankshaft was in backwards. I was like, how did that happen? Oh, it was the meth. Um, That makes sense now, right? Because meth makes sense when somebody's on it. Sometimes you have to be a little graceful if somebody's on stuff, and it, it just creates a different way of thinking. Okay, next picture, over the course of time, that's what the bike looks like today. Okay, it almost looks new again. Through a lot of work and a lot of polishing and a lot of pain and a lot of why did I buy this, okay, I am now happy to say I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it, okay? It's worth more than 1200 bucks. I actually came with the tools uh, to to split the cases if you're interested in that. Um, If you're not, it is okay, all right? But that's what it looks like today. So in our life, we start out new, we make a mess of it to one point because every single one of us made a mess of our life, okay? Some of it's a basket case, some of it just needs minor maintenance, but we all made a mess. And when people look at somebody's life and went, no, you're too far gone, you're, too, you're destroyed. There's no way that God could, could bring you back from what you did. That is a complete life from the pit of hell because God has a plan for your life and it looks like this. Now it's gonna take some work. It's gonna take some willingness for you to say, you know what, I made a mess of this. What do I need to do? Because every broke down vehicle has to submit to the mechanic's hand. And so in our life, that's what God sees. Now, here's the beautiful thing. We do not have to look like this on our own before we can come to Jesus. We come to Jesus a mess, and he fixes us up. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Christianity is all about. It's about bringing what we have to Christ. So in our lives, we see a problem, but Jesus can see the potential with that. And maybe this helps me as a pastor see potential in a wrecked life to believe that when you walk into this place or I meet you on the street, that you're strung out on drugs and you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff that I see beyond the crazy, that Jesus sees beyond the crazy into what you can be. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's how, that's how God looks at us and I love that. I was thinking back to the story of the, the, the bread because Jesus didn't just do this one story he provided later down the road too, some others, feeding a 4,000, he, he multiplied food I wonder if a disciple ever took a loaf of bread after knowing what Jesus could do with it and and threw it to Jesus and turned to the crowd and said, watch this, watch this. Watch what Jesus can do with one loaf of bread because I saw him do it before, he can do it again. And I wonder, is there times in your life when God looks at Jesus and he looks at your life and he's given you the gift, he's given you a little bit, he's given you potential, and he looks at Jesus and says, watch this. Watch this, I I gave Scott a little bit of bread. Watch this, because there was a point in Scott's life that he wasn't serving Jesus with all of his heart, okay? He got saved, and then he went away. He's told the story. He's got a great story, and God's like, no, I got potential here in Scott Hendricks, and it's not just to be a Dodger fan, which, which, like I said, we have grace. We will take you broken down, Um, and... uh, (laughs) the <laughs> Lord's defending him. I always get a wow out of Lori. I know I'm doing good if Lori comments on my sermon. Uh, and, 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 and God saw more than just a good baseball coach. He saw more than just a good dad, okay? He, he saw an excellent preacher, Scott, and you are become one. Proud of him, all right? And we all, again, we all have work to do, right? We're never finished. But I see the loaf of bread, and God says about you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Watch this. I've given them what they need. If they will submit this to me, If they will submit this one loaf of bread, watch what I can do with their life. See, that's the potential that God has put in each one of you. You need to believe that. You need to believe that. But I hope there's a disciple that would throw a thing of bread and go, hey, watch what Jesus can do with this. And I think that's what God has done with you. You see, this story is recorded in three or four Gospels. If you didn't know this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, To our knowledge, Luke never met Jesus. Never met Jesus. There's no story where it says, and and Luke was with Jesus. It's not there. Luke came after, okay? He may have seen him, but there's no interaction recorded that Luke was with Jesus. He was a doctor. Uh, He was with the apostle Paul, traveled with him. And so Dr. Luke, we know went to people and got, he he met Mary, like he got stories like, okay, what what happened here? And he's writing down the stories as a Dr. would in detail, But, but Luke actually does not record this story that we're in today, okay? Three different stories from three different people. Matthew's the only one that tells us that Peter walks on the water. If you've ever filled out a witness statement, if you saw a crime commit or something happened, you fill out your witness statement, I will tell you every witness statement is a different viewpoint of the same thing that happened. So that's that's the beauty of the gospels. They all give their little different take here. So same story, different perspective. And I want to tell you that God looks down and he sees your story. He sees what you're facing. He sees the things that you're going through right now. And you see it like all I see is the problem. I don't see any potential in this. And Jesus is like, that's okay, I do. I know what I'm doing with you. You just keep going. Your job is to continue to go forward. Sometimes we we think our job is to fix the whole thing. That's not true. We might see the detour sign and get frustrated. And God might see that the detour is actually leading to your destiny. That's next week's message, right? From, From the detour to the destiny, it's important to read your Bible every day because it feeds your faith instead of your fears. See, the Bible is full of stories of people going through hard times and not once does God ever fail the faithful. God will not fail you. He will not. You know why he won't? Because he can't. And when you serve him and you do the best, he will not ever fail you. There is a 100% success rate when you go with God. Now, here's what I know. If we spend more time reading the faith of the Bible and less hearing fear from Fox or CNN, your life will be a little more peaceful. Amen. Amen. Because what you feed grows and what you starve dies. You're either feeding your faith or you're feeding your fear. It's okay to be informed. It's okay to know what's going on in the world. But I will tell you this, most people, most people feel worse about life after spending a lot of time watching news or listening to news. I, I don't know many people, if any people that watch a lot of news are like, yeah, i feel good about life, let's go. It's like, no, all of a sudden you put a bunch of weight of what's going on in the world on your shoulders. some things that you can do nothing about. And you're carrying the pain of all that, and you weren't created to carry that. That's what God does, right? He carries the weight of the world. So here's a question. I threw this out, I think, this week on my, my Facebook is, what are you worried about that God's not? And how does this apply to you in your life right now? Like, what are you worried about right now that God's not? And God's like, he sees the whole picture. He's like, yeah, I see the rough road, I see you, but I see what lies ahead. Okay, so, so as a servant of Jesus, I have to believe he has my best interests in mind. He knows where my destiny is. He, he knows that, yes, yeah, just a detour and it's gonna be rough, it's gonna be bumpy, but he knows where I'm gonna end up and he's not worried about it. It's like watching a rerun of a sports event. Like if you watched a rerun of the Super Bowl, would you be worried about the outcome? <laughs> if you're an Eagles fan, you probably would, but... Um, all right, but, but you'd watch it again. You know the outcome, don't you? And I think to God, he's like watching a rerun of your life. He's like, he knows where you're gonna end up. He's like, just keep going, just keep going. I'm with you. It's the beauty of not just going to heaven, but of living for Jesus in this life, all right? So up to this point, Jesus heals. He feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. This assignment is over. And, and he tells his disciples, now get in the boat and go. Oh, that I wish I had a boat. If I just had a boat, I've heard that Pastor Stevie is a worker of miracles. Is it possible he could give me a boat? <laughs> Look at that. Pastor Stevie, you are the man, bro. Thank you so much. He's the provider of boats. He's the preacher of sermons. do you love Pastor Stevie? I love Pastor Stevie. I love Pastor Stevie. All right. So, now if we were in a ship and there was a shipwreck and this was the only lifeboat I could fit, Look at, this. look at this look at that yeah me and nobody else all right it's pretty cozy but nobody else is coming like i'd be like hey babe in i'd be like uh we're both gonna die um and then i would let her have it like in the titanic right um and, and so this is the boat jesus is like do what get in the come on talk to me he says get in the boat he says get in the boat why does he tell them to get in the boat? Well, I have a feeling that they're exhausted. They were tired to begin with, and now they've just fed a bunch of people, and they're probably fighting amongst themselves. And, and so he, he tells them to do something. It says immediately Jesus gave a suggestion to the disciples. Does that say suggestion? Oh, does it say if you feel like it? And if it's convenient for you, get in the boat? No, he, he made them. He made them. He made it get in the boat. And so they get in the boat, and they go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. That was really nice of Jesus. He was like, guys, get in the boat. Get out of here. I'll take care of the crowd. Everything will be fine. And after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside. Doesn't that sound nice? By himself, doesn't that sound nicer? To pray. That sounds wonderful. He went up by himself into the mountains to pray. And, and from deductive reasoning, we can believe that because Jesus did it, we should also go to the mountains. Welcome to Idaho, those for you from places that are where mountains. Right. This is a godly thing to do to go to the mountains by himself to pray. Now, it doesn't say anything about hunting, but there's a good chance that he took his bow. I'd probably not. All right. I mean, you know, if he made bread and fish, he might be able to, yeah, let's keep going. All right. After he dismissed them again, he went outside myself to pray later that night. He was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land by the waves because the wind was against it. Wait, the, wait, wait. The wind what? Why was the wind against it? Hold on. Why was the wind against it? We'll get there in just a moment. Because my thought is if you're doing what Jesus told you to do, you should have a tailwind You should just get there, right? It should be easy, it should be smooth sailing. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, they were close, it is the Holy Ghost. (laughs) God is three in one, right? So he's the Holy Spirit, so yeah, in, 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 in essence, yeah, he's the Holy Ghost. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And that may be you today in verse 26 terrified not only of the wind and the waves, but of seeing Jesus in a place that you wouldn't expect him, and you cry out in fear. And what did Jesus say to them? Take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. Now, different gospel writers had some different things to say about this. That's why it's really important to look at the other, other, like Mark 6.48 says this, he says that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He was up on the mountain. He could see them halfway across the lake. And it says that he watched them straining with the oars. Oh, that I had an oar. Oh, wait, I do have an oar. Because you know me. I like illustrations. This is not an oar. This is a paddle because it goes to a canoe. But for the sake of today, it is a Or, because I said it was an oar, right? But it's actually a paddle. But for people like my son-in-law, Reed, who knows the difference between an oar and a paddle. Either way, man, you bend over, I'll whoop you with this thing. You don't care if it's an oar or a paddle. Actually, that almost looks like the paddle that I got used on by my grandpa when I was a kid. But actually, it was about that size. Um, It was like a long-distance thing. If I ran, you could get me. John says this. John says it's similar, and he adds that as soon as Jesus got into the boat, they arrived at their destination. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, as soon as Jesus steps in, this is after Peter, you know, walking in the water. We're not going to go through that today. He gets in the water, he sings, they get it, and it says, as soon as Jesus stepped into the boat, it was there. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Like, if you're flying somewhere, as soon as you get in the plane, boom, you're there. I'd be, like, traveling with you. Okay, that'd be great. Uh, I still am pondering why so many families take so many children on flights to Hawaii, but... You've been to, there's like kids everywhere. Like this is supposed to be a quiet thing. Um, if you're one of those families, that's fine. Just tell me what you're booking on next time and I'll take a different aircraft. <laughs> just, the kids were actually pretty good this time. There was no screaming ones. Um, I told you one of the stories about the little girl that was coughing on me. I, had, I was watching a movie on my iPad and she was like, <clears throat> like caught, like literally her spit was getting on my iPad. And my old children's pastor's days came out and I put up with it. I just turned my head a little bit. Um, but let's keep going. <sighs> Now notice when Jesus told them to go, he didn't tell them rough road ahead. He didn't say, guys, when you get in the boat, there's gonna be wind, there's gonna be waves, it's going to be blowing against you. Like this is gonna be hard, but go team. I know you're exhausted. I know you're probably fighting with each other. That's probably why Jesus went up by himself. He's probably like, you guys just get in the boat and leave because they were humans. And, And Jesus didn't tell them rough road ahead. He didn't say, hey, it's gonna be hard. So my speculation here, complete speculation, complete conjectures, I'm going to say that the weather wasn't so bad when they left, because most of these guys were fishermen. And they're like, yeah, it's smooth, let's go, all right? I lit a fire last night in my ditch, and it was blowing toward the neighbor's house and not mine. Um, And I kid you not, as soon as I lit the fire, it started blowing into my house. I was like, poetic justice. Um, I was like, come on. And I was like, what's the deal? But it instantly changed. So the weather was probably good. But let's lead this this leads me to ask you a question. Hear hear me close here. How many good things would you have said no to if God would have showed you how much the process was going to hurt? Let me say it again. How many good things would you have said no to if God would have showed you how much the process was going to hurt? For example, pregnancy. Ladies, you want to get pregnant. You're like, we have a baby, let's have a baby. And your husband's like, did you talk to God about it first? No, we'll talk to God about it first. And as a husband, you're like, Lord, show her what it's like to have pregnancy of nine months of being sick and nauseous and eating weird things. And and then let her experience childbirth before the pregnancy. And God answers your prayer. If you're a husband and prayed that, you were a terrible husband. Don't pray that. But what would happen, ladies, if you're I just want to get pregnant, and God says, okay, I'm going to show you what it's like for nine months being sick, all this stuff you got to go through, and then the labor. And then you get the Braxton Hicks, I'm going to show you what that's like. And, and God lets you physically feel the birth and the, and the 28-hour labor process where you are in so much pain. And God's like, okay, you're going to go through all that, and then let's talk about pregnancy. There is not one sane woman who would even let her husband be in the same room with her if she experienced all the pain and discomfort of the pregnancy and the birth. Am I right? Now, there are some of you ladies, you are tough, tougher than I'll ever be. Am I right? But if we went through that, would be like, you're not touching me. Let's wait to have children. Because if you experienced all this pain before the beauty of a child, you may never get pregnant. Yeah, but hurt too much. So the fact that God doesn't give you all the details is actually a really important thing. God, you don't want God to give you all the details. I gotta bring this home just a little bit from my own experience. I got a picture here. All right. Well, you're like, what in the world is that? That is my foot. Okay, what you can't see very well. You can see a little bit of red here. That's the side of my foot. It's it's worse in life than it is on the picture. We were in Hawaii. I'm to go for a walk on the beach. And so we're walking on the beach, hand in hand. It's just a beautiful, blissful thing with my wife. We're walking along and, and just talking. Weather's good. And I step on something that I thought it was a sticker. And I was like, ow. And I looked down, and there was a bee attached to my foot. Yeah, a little sucker. Actually, no, that would be a mosquito. Um, anyways, he stung me. Some of you didn't get that, all right? And, and, and it stayed in my foot as I took another step. And it was like a mixture between a honeybee and a wasp, a really weird looking bee. And I was like, yeah! And so I'm like, that hurts. And the more I walked, the more it hurt. The, the poison began to work itself into my foot. And so I'm walking in the ocean, I'm taking salt water in my face, and I'm walking along, going, ah, ah. she's like, you okay, you okay, I'm like, I'm fine. Oh, my mind, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a baby when it comes up, but I'm going, Ugh, it hurts, like, oh. You are been there? Like, it just. this doesn't feel good. And I'm still trying to walk down the beach. And I'm like, okay, walk it out, walk it out, walk it out, walk it out, walk it out. And we get down and we walk back. I get back to the condo and I, still, man, it's just throbbing. And it hurt. And it finally, I don't know, two, three hours later, finally went away. But I had this thought as I was preparing this message that, would I have went on the walk on the beach with my beautiful wife if I could have experienced the pain I was going to experience while on that walk? That's the question. I'm like, yeah, no. I'll meet you on the other side, baby, right? Or I'll wear shoes. I wouldn't have went for a walk. Like, I, my brain would have went, no, three hours of pain in my, my foot just throbbing. I would not have, would have but what, look, what it, look at what I would have missed out on. Yeah. Palm trees, sun, sand, warm water. Look what I'd have missed on if I'd have known the details. Some of you, you're like, I just want to know the You don't want to know the details. Because knowing the details may prevent you from being what God wants you to be. Does that make sense? Does yep. that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. You don't want all the details. See, fear will keep you from progress. And maybe that means something to some of you right now that you're afraid of something. There's, you're like the unknown, I don't know. But, it, but fear will keep you from progress. You know what you need to do? Is, is fear is always gonna be there. It's overcoming your fear. It's giving it to Jesus to say, God, I, this is hard for me, I'm scared. But Lord, I trust you more than my fear. I trust you more than myself. I know that you're doing something in me. Why? Because your word says that, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And Lord, you promised me that. And that's not just an, oh, maybe if it is. You promised to fix me. Okay, when I gave my heart to you, you promised to fix me. Fixing is a process. But you also promise to finish what you started in my life. Yeah. And so I would ask you, don't, man, don't try to shortcut the process when God's fixing you. Don't try to, to take the smooth roads all the time. Sometimes we have to go through rough roads to know what a smooth road looks like. You ever been on a road where it was really rough and then you hit the state line and it was like smooth? Like going to Oregon can be like that. Like it's like you see the black, you're like, I see the line, you drive, you drive, and then all of a sudden it's smooth roads. I love it when that happens, but smooth isn't always promised. Matter of fact, smooth is never promised. So here's some questions that we need to answer from this story. I need crowd participation here. There's four questions. Number one, did the disciples do what Jesus told them to do? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Number two, were they going in the direction that Jesus told them to go? Yes. Yes. Was the wind against them? Why? Because that's life sometimes, right? Number four, did they keep rowing? Yes. Yes. So as they are obeying Jesus, they get in the boat, they're paddling. And again, for the sake of, they're probably doing this, they're paddling along. They're paddling, they're all rowing, they're all rowing, they're all rowing, and it's hard and the wind's blowing. And I can imagine them going, you know, it would just be easier to give up. It would just be easier to put the paddle down and say, I'm tired. And maybe there was a disciple that sat down and said, guys, you can row, I'm just going to go along for the ride. That doesn't work very well, right? When one person's not willing to row. Maybe they took turns. I don't really know, but I do know this. It says they were straining at the oars. They were going, and they were like, this stinks. This is hard. I don't like it. Why is the wind against us? If I was serving God the way that I should be, I, it, there shouldn't be any wind. There should be a tailwind. It should blow us. You could just open up your robe. Like, that's probably a bad illustration. <laughs> open up a robe, and we'll just all be sails, and, and it would blow us to the other side. I didn't do that first service. Uh, I If I would have did that first service, I would not have done a second service. Um, Let's just move on, all right? (laughs) I was just, I was thinking practically you could be a sail, but these guys didn't have undergarments most of the time. Um, So disregard that illustration. Use what you got, right? All right. And so they they could have sailed. (laughs) Let's just keep going. Just keep just Keep rolling. Keep rolling keep rolling, keep straining, keep straining, keep straining, keep straining. And Jesus is on the mountain doing what? He's watching. He's watching them. He sees their struggle, but he also sees the fact that they're obeying him, that they're doing what he asked them to do. And again, that's why I love in the other gospel, it says as soon as Jesus got into the boat, it just arrived to the other side. Like they were only halfway across and Jesus took care of the rest. And some of you today might be in the boat and you might be like, I just want to serve God. I'm doing my best and I'm doing the best that I know how to do. But the wind just keeps coming against me. I keep having these things go wrong. The winds and the waves, they keep crashing over me. And I feel like, am I even doing what God wants me to do? And again, just because there's resistance does not mean that you're not going the direction God wants you to go. And I hope that encourages somebody today that your job, is just continue to go toward the things of God. And yes, there's gonna be days where you just throw the paddle down and say, I'm done. And you get up in the morning and you're like, I'm not done. God wants me to do, and you keep going, you keep going. Because in my mind, why didn't Jesus give you a tailwind? Because it's not always easy. That's not the way it is. But Jesus is always there. Jesus was always watching. He was always watching. He always had his guys in view. He always had his people, and he always has you in his view. And there's days he's going to let you struggle. Why? Because sometimes the struggle is needed to make you stronger. It's not the way I like it, but that's the way it is. So if I understand, hey, rough road ahead, okay, rough road ahead, well, then I'm not so disappointed when it happens. Hear me on this. The easiest thing for them to have done was to stop rowing and to drift. To give up, to say, this is too hard. This is too hard. I can't do this. But when you drift wherever the wind blows you, When you do this, when you give up, when things get hard, you will not arrive at the destination that he has for you. Had they given up, had they said, we're done, it would have blown them clearly the opposite direction that that Jesus wanted them to go to. And so I implore you today, I'm asking you to not give up, to keep going, to keep rowing, to keep paddling, to keep doing what it is that God wants you to do. Now, Again, there could be, if there's unrepentant sin in your life, if you're like sinning and you don't care, there's going to be conflict, okay? But today we're not really talking, we're talking about you're trying your best and it's still resistant. The thing is, is to keep going. See, the Bible's full of stories of people going through hard times and not once does God ever fail the faithful, not once. Jesus sees them the whole time, right? He sees the struggle and then he walks out there and he messes with them a bit. I love that. Jesus is strolling by, and they're like, ah, ghost, all right? Ah. Um, I, I joke with my wife at this at home because she's a little bit jumpy sometimes. Um, only when I'm home, she's jumpy. And, 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 and she doesn't like this, but I keep doing it, ladies. I, went, I need you to pray for my wife because she lives with a struggle sometimes. And so because I hunt, I'm, I like practice quiet. I talk about that. Like, we practice quiet. You don't walk on your heels. Blum, blum, blum. Okay, you walk on, on like the balls. You, you, you walk quiet, practice quiet. And so I will walk in and she'll be in the kitchen. Katie and I'll just sneak up. I'll just stand right, 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 right by her. Now, usually I'm pretty careful that she doesn't have a knife or something sharp. <laughs> and I'll just stand there and she'll turn around and she's just jumping. And I always laugh and she always hits me. It's this thing. Uh, <laughs> And, and there's other times that I will stand in her doorway and I'll just do this. She loves it when I surprise her. Um, she, she said, I, I love surprises. And so I keep doing it. But Alyssa, she's not, she, somehow it's not the same surprise she's looking for. Um, she's like, I love surprises. I'm like, surprise. Um, the best one, it's a short story, I'll tell you, because some of you know the story, is when we were talking about the rapture in bed. It was dark and we were discussing the rapture and I actually crawled out of bed and I went around to her side and she was talking and monologuing and then she quit talking. She was like, Stan, I could feel her feeling like the bed. I know it's terrible, but it was funny. Um, I I did that. And then I was like, then I touched her. I was like, uh, yeah. So church ladies, pray for her. (laughs) She's, she's going to preach a message called, Help, I Married a Mess. Um, I see the perspective of Help, I Married a Man of Miracles, but uh, she chooses to see it different. Same story, different perspective. It can be so much fun to live with sometimes. Um, don't expect smooth sailing all the time, right? If you expect life to be perfect, you'll be in perpetual disappointment. <laughs> I want to I want to close with a story that I read recently, and uh, here's a book that I would encourage. If you have teenagers, it's called How to Ruin Your Life by Forty. <laughs> yeah. Steve Ferrar, he's actually a Promise Keeper speaker. Um, amazing book. Like, so Steve Ferrar, How to Ruin Your Life by Forty. I, I seriously, like, get the book, read the book. But there's a story that I read in here, um, and and it's again, he's looking at it from. A, the perspective of, of, of a, here's how you destroy your life, and it's on decision-making. So, but I, I really do recommend it. It's, it's phenomenal. And he starts out in chapter one with a story. It's a true story that I wanted to read you because I thought it was very fitting for today. But his, his title here is, If You Want to Ruin Your Life by 40, Then Ignore the Law of Cause and Effect. He says, At 18 years of age, Jane Lucretia d'Ester was talented and beautiful. As she stood on the bank of the beautiful deep lake in Scotland, she pondered plunging into the depths in taking her life. She had lost all hope. The year was 1815 and her husband John had just been killed in a duel. He left her penniless in a new country, completely by herself with two babies to care for. Her family was in France and she was without any kind of support, emotional, spiritual or financial. Again, this is a true story. As she gazed into the depths of the lake and pondered the pain and brokenness of her life and pondered suicide, she looked up and saw a young man on the other side of the lake plowing furrows in the hillside. He was completely focused on his work. He was not aware of her gaze as he guided the plow behind the horse with a single-minded purpose. In her moment of despair, she was so impressed with this young man's focus and concentration on doing his work well, that his example and concentration pulled her out of her despair. Suddenly she was infused with hope. She was given a timely dose of wisdom and she knew what she was supposed to do. She needed to move straight ahead as a young plowman was doing she too had had a meaningful task to fulfill. Her children needed her. The last thing they needed right now was the loss of one parent and then the loss of another. When they looked, or I'm sorry, when she looked at the young man's example, she was given wisdom or to put it another way, she was given a wise heart. And when her heart became wise, it then became brave enough to do the right thing and the hard thing. A few weeks after this experience by the lake, Jane came to a faith in Jesus Christ. A few years later, she married a man named Captain John Grattan McGinnis, I'm sorry, Guinness, Grattan McGinnis, who was the youngest son of the famous brewer Arthur Guinness. This story is told by Oz Guinness in his book called The Call. Uh, He's a gifted Christian author who has influenced many toward the kingdom of God. Jane de Astaire was Oz Guinness's great-great-grandmother. Oz comments on the significance of the events that took place in Jane's life when she was just 18. And he has this to say. He said, if it had not been for this duel, my side of the family would not have come into being. And if not for the plowman, the tragedy of a dueling husband would have followed by a tragedy of a duelless widow. My great-great-grandmother, Jane, was unusual for several reasons, including the fact that she conscientiously prayed for her descendants through a dozen generations. Ours is a heritage of faith, uh, for which I, for one, am grateful. When 18-year-old Jane was gazing to the deep, dark depths of the lake, pondering suicide, she couldn't see five generations ahead, or see Oz Guinness or any other of her descendants. All she could see was that her life was finished. But it wasn't finished. By looking at a purposeful young man plowing on a hill, she realized there was hope. She could take the path of the lake, or she could take the path of moving ahead in spite of her mind-numbing emotional pain. She had no idea that Jesus would call her to forgiveness and purpose in just a matter of weeks. She couldn't imagine that she would have another husband who would love her and her children. All she knew at that moment was that she could choose life or death. She had a choice to make and that choice would carry consequences. The concept is known, it's cause and effect. She made the right choice as an 18-year-old. Her family is still grateful today for what she did nearly 200 years later. And Oz Guinness, he's a, a Christian motivational speaker and author, and he goes around and makes a difference in the lives of people by what he teaches and what he preaches. But I love this story because, number one, it's about a young woman who saw somebody who never saw her. All this guy was doing was plowing, He was doing his job and he was doing it well. He was doing it focused and straightforward. And though he encountered resistance with rocks and dirt, he knew that he had a job to do. He did not know somebody was watching him. And what I wanna encourage you today is if you're going through something hard and you're plowing and you're like, why? I believe that there's somebody that's watching that you don't know about, somebody that's gonna get inspired by you continuing to do what God has asked you to do, even when it's hard that you're inspiring somebody, I promise you guys, you are inspiring someone. And I implore you to keep going, to keep plowing, to keep going forward, even when it's hard, even when the wind is against you, when you wanna give up and you wanna say, what is the point that God has a point for your life? He has a point for what you're facing. I would ask you to keep going. Somebody is counting on you to keep going, to make it, to go through what you're, what you're facing. And, and it's not easy, but Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. And you might be like Jane, you might be at a point to where you're just like, why? Why should I go? Why should I keep going? My life is not worth anything. But God had a greater plan for that. And I'm glad that she didn't take the easy choice, the easy choice is to quit, the easy choice is to give up. But God had a greater plan. So which one do you fall into? Which one do you fall into? I ask you today to keep going, that Jesus knows what he's doing with your life that you might be in the boat and you might be oaring, you might be like, I just, I'm done. No, you're not done, you're not done. You may feel done, but don't let your feelings take you away from the focus that God has for you, that God has a good plan for you. He has a good plan, what you're doing is good. Now, you might need some rest, you might overwork yourself. You might need to take some time and just go to the mountain and say, I'm, just, I'm spent. Husbands, pay attention to your wives, or should I say wife? It right. came out. Right. I had all kinds of things come out today different than I intended. <laughs> Pay attention to your wife. Okay? If you see that she's struggling, give her some, give her some space. Ladies, see your husband. See if, he's, if at work is just weighing heavy on him. Just do, do what he needs at that moment to know that you're there. Right? If our kids, we see things that are going through, the, and it just takes some time just to figure out, okay, something's, something's bugging them. And I know the kids don't always like to talk to their parents, isn't that crazy? It's like, I'm here for you. And they're like, "Ah, all right, that's a hard thing. But don't give up, Jesus is watching you. And I hope this helps somebody today. I hope Jane's story helps you because again, as a great, great grandson, Oz Guinness is now telling people about Jesus. And he's like, I'm sure that my great grandma stuck it out in her hard time. And he looks back and he sees the cause and effect. If there was no duel, I wouldn't be here. It's like if her first husband was a better swordsman, Cause that's what happened. He got he got right? I'm glad we don't do that anymore. That's like crazy, all right. But God's got you. He's got you, and I hope this helps. I want you to leave today saying, "Okay, life's rough. That's a fact. But Jesus is bigger than that. He's bigger than that." Amen. He's got you. You bow your heads with me just for a moment. Now, at our church, we but we preach on heaven and hell. Okay, and today. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, whether you're here or you're online, you've never accepted Him as Him, as uh, accepted Jesus as your Savior. The Bible talks about heaven and hell. The, the, the moment we die, our, our, our choice is sealed. There's only two destinations and we get to choose where we go. Uh, Jesus came that we would have life, that we were lost in our sins. We were broken just like that motorcycle, but Jesus saw potential. And if we will ask Jesus to forgive us and come into our life, heaven becomes our home instantly. That moment, the Bible says that our name is written in the book of life. The moment we accept Jesus as our savior, your, your, your eternity is done, it's secure, it's done. It's like your name gets put in the book of life. And if you need to have your name put in the book of life today, he says you, if you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, your, your name is not there. Yeah, okay, your name's not there. If you're an adult or teenager, your name's not there. Children, I believe that they all go. But if, you, if you're at the point where you know right from wrong and you choose wrong, we have to choose right. We have to choose to accept Jesus as our savior. And if that's you today and you want to ask Jesus to be your savior, you want to go to heaven when you die, you want your sins forgiven. If you just lift your hand up where I can see it and you say, Stan, that's me. I've, I've, maybe I've grown up in church, but I never, okay, I see your hand. You can put it to anybody else. Anybody else, All right. Okay, so here's what we do, all right? We, as a church family, we pray for those who raise their hands. They don't want to accept Jesus. Will you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, Jesus I believe that you died, I believe you died for my sins. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Our right. our goal. Our goal. Our goal, Amber, is to keep that angel busy, right? Whoever writes the name in there, whether it's an angel, I don't know how the name gets, but your name just got put in the, in the book of life. So if you die today, right, you get heaven. And it's that easy, right? And now we learn how to walk as a Christian. The second thing I wanna pray for, and again, I'm just asking if you bow your heads with me, if you just, just be honest with me, if you're going through some rough stuff, like just lift your hand up for a moment. I'm not gonna, I just wanna pray for you as your pastor. Father, I thank you. Father, for those hands that are raised, maybe online there was a hand raised, or maybe in their heart it was raised. Father, I pray for peace in this storm. I pray for strength. I pray, Father, for a tenacity to keep going when they feel like giving up. I pray that they would have an understanding that you have a plan and your plan is good and your plan doesn't just involve us, it involves those after us. It involves those that that maybe we have kids or grandkids or great grandkids that somebody is counting on us to keep going. So I pray, Lord, that you give them the strength, Lord, to make it one more day, one more hour, one more moment because somebody's counting on us to endure. We can count it on you when you took that cross, Father, to the the hill called Golgotha. We counted on you to endure that pain. Why? Because our eternity was at stake. And I thank you so much that you endured it for us. And we love you and give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here.